Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode and joined as usual by founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lee Master. And today it's just the two of us, uh, no guests. We just want to get together and we wanted to talk about the importance of location whenever you're investing in real estate because we ran across some news articles, sent them to Zach, and I said, hey, we got to talk about this, man. It's uh, location, location, location whenever you're talking about real estate and Cash flow can happen in many different markets, but sometimes you don't want to be in markets, um, even though they cash flow. So, uh, well, first off, good to see you, Zach. Yeah, likewise, Adam. We just came back after the 4th of July weekend or holiday. So, I mean, do you do anything fun with the family? Um, no, we usually do fireworks, but we actually didn't end up doing them this year. We just had, um, I, I had big plans to go out and buy them, but we just had a bunch of other stuff going on around the house. We had a lot of work done and we're un we moved a whole bunch of stuff out of rooms and now we're having to move them back in. And so that was pretty much our whole day. Oh, well, that's that's a, a letdown, Adam. You're usually I thought you're the orchestrator yeah. uh, of the and the conductor of the big firework show that usually goes on in your neighborhood, right? Is this not your role? Have you been replaced or what's happening here? <laughs> no, well, a couple of things. Number one, Travis County. I did not do that ever in my life. I've never ever done that. Uh, but now our, our neighbor who usually goes in with me and does it was out of town. Um, we had this other stuff going on. And so it just kind of went by the wayside. We watched the, uh, the Capitol fourth, um, the DC extravaganza on PBS. <laughs> so, okay. Well, at least, yeah, at least you got, you know, something in to celebrate. We just barbecued and, and hung out with family and, you know, that's, that's about it. So, um, nice relaxing holiday, but back back in the swing of things. And uh, yeah, I think this will be a good topic to talk about because this is something that as far as like choosing, really this is about like how to choose the right market to invest in because this is something that is very challenging. A lot of people invest or they feel most comfortable to start investing locally in their local market, which is, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I think, you know, as you grow and become a more successful investor, you, you certainly should be aware of how to analyze different markets, certain things to think about um, and something you, you should consider investing out of market because more than likely there's another market out there that is either more conducive to your goals and, and offers a better return on investment than to say just your own backyard. The challenge is, you know, how do you identify that market? How do you have the team established in that area and, and position yourself to be successful? And I would like to mention that this, this one thing, uh, has allowed my wife and I to be dramatically more successful. Like if I had to attribute our success in investing to to one thing, it was simply stepping outside of our comfort zone and looking at different markets, not just being hyper-focused on our, on our own local market, because that allowed us to, you know, really become more savvy investors and expedite our success where we could be focused on building a long-term portfolio that offered the best returns, not just, investing locally where we, we felt comfortable. Um, and that, I mean, that was paramount in, in growing our portfolio, but there's a lot of things you need to consider. Right. And even if you do, like, even if you do invest locally, is that, is that really an area that's going to position you to be successful long-term with tax structures and legislation? So yeah, a super important topic to talk about. Yeah. And so, you know, people often ask us, cause you know, one of the things we talk about in our intro calls with people is the importance of, and how we choose 
markets. And one of those is landlord friendly. And they ask, you know, on a not infrequent basis, the question is asked of what does landlord friendly mean? Um, and there are obvious states that jump out as being completely landlord unfriendly and very, very tenant skewed. And one of those that people hear about all the time is where a lot of investors come from, and that's California. Uh, it's just not uh, not skewed towards um, investors at all. It's very much in terms of uh, the tenants. And I found an article that was from uh, the CBS 8. I believe it's in San Diego. And it was a San Diego woman has squatters who's been living in her uh, rental home that she has for over nine months without paying rent. And she filed an eviction with them. And the judge has ruled against her twice. And she's an 81-year-old woman. So it's not some big, scary, you know, hedge fund with 100,000 properties. It's an 81-year-old woman. Says she has six people living in her uh, rental house, which she's owned for decades. None of them have written leases. And they took over her property after her previous tenant died. And the judge essentially said that they have verbal uh, rental agreements with her because at one time she accepted a rental payment from them. She accepted one rental payment from them. They stopped paying after that. And the judge just came out and said, well, then you've got a, you've got a lease. It's incredible. Yeah. Put that link in there to that article too. Um, in, in the show notes or put it up on there so people can look at this and, and read for themselves. But I think this example really just is, is one case study of like the, the challenging things or the risks of being a landlord in, in maybe the wrong area. And this is, we're not here to, you know, crap on any specific markets, right? You can be successful in any market with the right strategy and, and plan, but certainly from a business perspective, there are areas that uh, would set you up to be a more successful landlord, you know, that have better tax structures, legislation. When we look at an area that we want to invest in and we, we want to, I mean, we don't want to make it challenging, right? Like I don't want to have to go through the court system for a, a year uh, to try to evict someone where I'm having, they're probably racking up utilities. They may or may not be, you know, taking care of the house, probably damaging the house, yeah, probably certainly probably not paying rent. So, I mean, that's a long time where that's, I mean, that can put you, set you back on your returns a lot, right? I mean, decades oh, yeah. potentially. And I so mean, when we look at California, if you haven't gotten paid and if you have a San Diego house, you haven't paid in nine months, you're easily probably at least 20 grand negative in those nine months. And this is a woman who's owned the house for decades. She's probably still out 15, 20 grand. You know that they're number one, probably not taking care of the house. Number two, if something goes wrong, probably not reporting it to her uh, to get somebody in. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate. And obviously we feel it for her. And this is just a reminder to us all, like do things, do things right. I mean, maybe don't self-manage. Uh, I understand like that's probably one of the biggest issues because you're not, if you're self-managing and I know that a lot of people want to start there. So they have the experience or, you know, they, they needed to make the numbers work in some of these more expensive areas, but like, you know, are you really reading all the legislation on, on all the laws required around being a landlord and what under really understanding what your your rights are and your position? Probably not. Uh, but that's just one of many reasons to have a right property manager. But when we're evaluating a market, uh, when we look at landlord friendly legislation, like what does that actually mean? And a lot of what we're we're evaluating is areas where I mean, we're just using the eviction history and the leasing in this this scenario, but we want to be able to evict a tenant quickly if we need to, right? But we also need to be able to write a lease 
and have protections from a landlord perspective that are going to allow us to actually run a business in real estate and not have the tenant be more protected than the landlord. But other things to think about is things like rent control. Um, there are some states where you have statewide rent control now, you know, and so these are usually sometimes coastal areas where same same thing. I mean, you literally are capped on the income um, that you can charge, but also, you know, as, as far as um, landlord friendly legislation, we, we want to look at things like, okay, as part of the lease, what are protections? What are things that you can require tenants to do or not to do? Um, are they, can they, can you charge them for utilities? If they're not taking care of the house, like, can you pass certain expenses on to them um, from the city? If they're not, if they're required to do snow removal or the lawn care and they don't do that, like, can you ha- build them in a lot of these tenant-friendly areas that you cannot. And so it's all sorts of these things that you need to to consider and understand. And um, unfortunately, really, a lot of people don't know about them until they find themselves in a position like this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's brutal to, to see this. And you know, her this woman's husband is even a lawyer uh, and they can't get through it. And another thing that you have to look at and what you want to check is maybe it's somewhat landlord-friendly, but how long is it going to take you to get into court? Um, there's some places where, you know, you might be able to evict them quickly, but getting them into court is going to take four or five months. There's other places where, you know, you can get into court within, you know, two weeks and have somebody out 30 to 60 days and, you know, you're, you're ready to go. So it's, it's a very in-depth look. You can't just say, you know, it's next door so I can get rid of the tenants. Well, even if they're next door, you can't necessarily get rid of the tenants. You can make their life not fun, but legally, what are your uh, what are your options? And so you really have to look at that. And there are some places, um, and this was one of the things that, I mean, this article about San Diego was the one that really got me thinking about it. But then I saw an article about Florida because, you know, we invest in Florida. Florida, Florida is very easy to evict tenants. It's kind of an interesting state where uh, it's the one of the fastest to evict and it is the longest foreclosure time. So they're very protective of homeowners and not so much of uh, tenants. So it's very good for investors, but there are areas in it that aren't, you know, like DeSantis signed a bill rolling back some of the, uh, some of the areas that had signed like tenant bill of rights. And there were a couple of cities, I think Miami might've been one of them. And there were a couple other cities that had created a tenant bill of rights and the state came in and passed the legislation saying, Hey, no, you can't do this. The Santa signed it. So it's something that if you thought about, you might have thought, you know, hey, Florida's landlord friendly. I, I can go anywhere. Well, you need to look at individual places, too, because they can pass their own legislation. Now, obviously, this has since rolled it back. But if you'd been investing there one, two years ago in some of these cities, you may not have been in as good a position as uh, as you thought you should have been. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to I want to take a step back and just say. You know, it's, it's important to, to understand where you're investing. But, Adam, let's talk about uh, how, how would someone identify uh, an area that has landlord-friendly legislation? Like, how do they determine that? How do they – obviously, if they're investing through our network, we've done the research for them and have decided on certain areas be, because of things like this. This is part of our criteria that we, we look for uh, in areas that we personally invest. But if someone's just doing it on their own or starting from scratch, let's talk about how to determine – a right location to invest in and come up with some of these uh, metrics. And then also what are other important things people should be considering when choosing a market outside of just the, the landlord friendly legislation. But first of all, like if what, what advice would you give to someone 
that's trying to determine like, okay, what is landlord friendly? So what's landlord friendly state and what's not? Yeah. So, I mean, Google searches are obviously helpful. There's, um, you can also, there's a website I've looked at whenever I was considering self, whenever I did self-manage for a little bit, it's called a uh, nolo.com, N-O-L-O.com. Uh, you can find a lot of stuff there um, legally, um, either getting forms or you, I think you can even book a call with a, with a lawyer to talk about some things. Um, calling property managers and talking to them is a really good one. I mean, you know, a lot of people who follow us go on bigger pockets and that's one place to go, but, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Cause obviously the people there aren't, uh, aren't likely to be, you know, up to date on the laws, but they can give you a general idea of where is going to be good. Um, but I would say, you know, property managers are a great place to start. Just general you Google search, you know, top 10 States, you know, landlord friendly, you'll get a pretty good idea. I mean, obviously everybody's list will be a little bit different, but if your States that you're looking at is, you know, anywhere in there on most of the lists, it's probably going to be a solid place to start. Um, yeah. You can also call on housing authorities. If you want to get, you know, very granular, you can call and ask about, uh, you know, tenant. I would suggest going in asking as a tenant <laughs> from that perspective, because they might not be as uh, kind to landlords uh, if you ask. So, you know, calling housing authorities and asking about that would be another good place to, to start. If, if you can actually talk to someone and you're not on the phone for three hours dealing with, you know, the government phone line. So, uh, no, that, that's great information. I, I think in general, as a, if you just were looking at the U.S. map, like a lot of the areas that we focus on is Midwest and Southeast. Um, if you get to coastal areas, I mean, politics aside, if you're usually in a more liberal state, then you're going to have more tenant favorable laws. If you're in more of a conservative state, then gen not always, but generally speaking, it's going to be more favorable of landlords. So, I mean, that's just like high level starting points. Uh, a lot of the coastal areas, um, Southeast outside of that, I mean, you're, you're usually ten more tenant friendly and have more control. And so those are, those are areas that become more challenging and are ta usually taxed higher as, as well. So, <laughs> Um, but Adam, what, what else is important in terms of choosing a right market to you when you're, if you're just kind of deciding, okay, maybe I have a one or two rentals and I want to look really, I want to start investing out of state and start doing my research and find a, find an area that is going to allow me to be successful. Um, I mean, you know, we've talked about before, I mean, you need to look at the population trends as well, but if you're coming in and just looking at, uh, you know, general numbers, I mean, you've got so much free data out there that you can get on. I mean, Almost too I, much, right? It's distracting, <laughs> shiny yeah. object syndrome. I, I tend to limit mine to, I, I try to go with just real numbers. So I tend to dive into the census website quite a bit whenever I'm looking at areas um, because they're the ones that are going to be, I mean, you can hop on like Wikipedia or something or, you know, Google how many people are here, what's the percent change. But, you know, those, I don't know where they're pulling their numbers. Um, so I prefer, I mean, love or hate government. Um, they have a lot of data that's, uh, that, you know, has already been paid for and it's already been accumulated. So I always, I always start there. I mean, you can see if, if you go on the census.gov and start looking into areas, it gives you a pretty significant breakdown. I mean, they'll break it down by age, by, you know, um, home ownership. They'll break it down by gender. They'll break it down by education a lot. I mean, they'll give you poverty rates. I mean, they'll give you so much information there that it's a, a really good place to start looking 
as to whether or not the area you're thinking about is even, you know, worth it. Cause I mean, if you're looking at an area that, you know, shrunk 15% and now your median income is $20,000, well, who's going to be able to pay a, you know, 15, $2,000 rent? Probably not many people in the area, you know, oh, is it going to be that? So does it matter if it's landlord friendly or not, if you're evicting every other tenant? Well, at least you'll get to a victim, but you're probably not going to be in a good position. So it's always good. That's that's where I always start with my um, with my research. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we we try to start at more of a, a large funnel, um, like macroeconomic kind of evaluation and move to a more specific microeconomic scale. So, I mean, we could evaluate like a state as as a whole, but obviously within a state, you know, Florida is a perfect example. There is a lot of different submarkets in those and they vary dramatically uh, in terms of price points, rents, there's general different variations in, in growth and in, in legislation. So, I mean, you got to start macro and then work your way to more specific. But what you talked about is probably the most important thing uh, ultimately, and it's comes as no surprise. It's basic knowledge that you want to be in an area where you have a growing population, right? You want to have uh, you, you are able to grow and accumulate wealth through real estate investing over time, being in an area that you can keep a house rented, that rents will likely go up year after year, uh, and in an area that will appreciate. Like that's a recipe to success, um, and it's it's not it's not terribly hard to find multiple areas that are that are doing that. Um, you know, F- Florida had a two percent population growth last year, which is for, I mean, it's higher than any other state in the U S um, and well to over, I think Florida just beat out Texas is the first time for this in 2022. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, this is something for people to keep in mind as they're looking at population trends, you don't have to be growing that much to be beating the U S average. I think the U S average year over year in 2022 or 2021 was only like, it was less, it was like point something percent. Like it was very, very minor when it comes to it. It might've only been like 0.1 or 0.2. I mean, it doesn't take much movement into an area to be beating the national average in today's uh, day and age. Cause we've had um, lowering um, fertility rates, got people waiting longer. Our immigration um, has been cut down some. So the U S just isn't growing like it used to be population wise. So if you see an area that's growing, you know, even five, six percent over a decade right now, you're in good shape, relatively speaking. That is and that's a really good point uh, that you just mentioned that I forgot to previously. When you're looking at data, so many people just look back over the past year or two years. Right. Look over look over a period of time. Yes. The past year to two is, is important to kind of see what that trend is. But also, so as the past five to 10 years, if you see a graph that goes like this with growth, most graphs are, are, are like this, where it's like, you know, you have this, you know, subtle change and fluctuation, some ebbs and flows. But if you do it on a linear graph, it is, you know, growing. And that that is important to see on a trend. You know, that's that's much different than a graph that looks like this, that flatlines or like this. Right. Um, but it's you got to evaluate over a period of time. And likely, if there's been somewhat of an upward trend over the past five to 10 years, that's that's likely to continue unless something really changes dramatically or economically within that, that local area. So I think that's that's important to look at over a period of time. That's just one data point. And, and I think that's fairly obvious is being an area that has growing growing population uh, and then coupling that with house pricing that is affordable uh, compared to rents. Uh, a lot of things that we've been looking at is what we consider secondary markets where 
there's still population growth outside of, but still commutable to a large metropolitan area um, where, you know, the housing is maybe a fraction of the cost, but rents are surprisingly still relatively high. So you can get a cash on cash return. That's, that's great and still be accessible to a metropolitan area that's continually expanding. So that's, I mean, that's just one example of areas that we've been focusing on, but in general, what else would you say, Adam, is important um, beyond population growth and landlord-friendly legislation? We talked about tax a little bit. What are some other important things or are key to set yourself up for success when identifying the right market? Well, I mean, you need to know your numbers. I mean, that's quite honestly, anytime you're investing in real estate is knowing your numbers. I mean, you need to know the, the, tax rate so you can get a legitimate um, number that you can put in there. You need to be talking with people on the ground to know where in there um, to actually invest. I mean, I think what you were saying just made me think about, you know, being in the secondary markets. Secondary markets quickly become primary markets <laughs> in a lot of cases. Tertiary quickly becomes secondary. I mean, I think if everybody just kind of takes a second and thinks about where they live, and think about when you were there 10 years ago what or 15 years ago, what was considered the boonies um, is probably now just considered right next door. Like where I live in Austin right now, when I lived here back in high school, I thought where I lived was way out in the middle of nowhere because there wasn't the road that connects us to the rest of Austin hadn't been fully opened yet. And as soon as that opened, boom, the whole place grew up. But I mean, at the time I thought, man, that's way out there. You know, who would ever live out there? Well, cut 20 years later and it's, you know, massively grown. The prices are, you know, increasing. So, I mean, just think about the general area that you live in and kind of extrapolate that onto others and not worry about saying, Hey, this area, yeah, it's close to here, but it's, there's not a whole lot going on there right now. It's well, okay. How's the primary market? How's the, how are the other markets doing that are going to lead there? So don't just take a, what's my return right now? And cause this is the problem that I see people fall into a lot is they look at their numbers year one and that's the number that they use forever. You know, they're like, Oh man, I'm going to get this property. It's going to have $300 a month cash flow, but I'm going to need like 40 of those to get to, you know, 12 grand a month. Like I want, it's like, are you never going to raise rent? That's, that's because that's what a pro forma shows. That's the, yeah. the numbers they are seeing on paper, um, but they can't, they can't conceptualize. Yeah, what year three, four, or five looks like with even very conservative appreciation, debt reduction, uh, moderate rental increases year after year, your tax benefits and depreciation, like how that all compounds, right? And and all those things. Build a calculator. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good reference point. Let's throw that in there. Um, the the link to our our wealth tracker. This is just a free tool we've developed. It's still understand it's still in its beta stage. So. Like not everything may be functioning 100%, but we wanted to at least get it out to, um, just for our community to use it at no cost where um, the purpose of this is yes, to evaluate properties if you're that you're looking at potentially buying. So it has a pro forma basic analysis. Um, you can also add, you set up a profile and add properties, your previous properties to kind of track performance. But the main purpose of this is to project into the future to say, all right, well, based on what my financial goals um, with whatever variables I want to put in with anticipated appreciation, rental increase, expense increase, your amortization scale for your, your loan structure, whatever that loan structure is, where's my net worth and cash flow going to be based on, you know, equity um, and, and rental growth in five to 10 years, you know, or whatever, whatever amount you choose. And that's, I've yet to find a tool that does that, but it's really important to project. Uh, but it also allows you to conceptualize like the power of real estate 
and just understand like even a three or four percent appreciation compounding year after year plus a little bit of rental increases and like it goes a long way is rather surprising so i think yes that's a good plug for the the calculator (laughs) so what are you what are you looking at whenever you do it what do you have any websites you like to go to or encyclopedias you like to open whenever you're uh, looking into areas so we do a lot of analysis on, um, you know, census data as well. Adam, you, you mentioned that is a good resource. Um, but what uh, one thing at one point I want to make clear is that don't also, it's important not, not to overcomplicate things either, right? Like there, I'll, I'll say this, and this is what I would talk about what I'm about to you now. This is a lot of what we've done on personal investing. Um, and it will probably sound very rudimentary and maybe a little risky to people, but this is area, this has served us well over time of just, if you're in, in an area that has shown a general population trend and an area that has, um, it's, it's an area that's attractive, that people want to move there. That's, if you just like dumb it down a little bit and don't overcomplicate it. If there are people that are moving to an area for a certain reason and you have general population growth, even if it's modest, that is probably if it's a if it's an attractive area to live in the country, you're probably going to be okay investing there, right? And so, and I think the best thing that we've done is we've invested in a lot of those areas. We've never put our eggs all in one basket, but we've chosen a lot of different markets where it's just like, hey, people are moving there. There's good weather. There's affordable cost of living. Um, maybe it's an area that's been business friendly. Areas where people have recreation and they're likely to move. Um, and a lot of those, going back, back to secondary markets, we've chosen areas that are more family-oriented. A big trend that we're seeing now post-COVID is that there's more people working from home. It is crazy the amount of people that don't go into the office anymore. <laughs> and that was a trend that was already starting just with technology, but COVID like put us light years ahead and expedited that, that trend. And now it's become accepted as a norm. And businesses are also understanding that hey, people can be more efficient. They don't have to waste time commuting to, to the office you don't have people walking into your cubicle, your office throughout the day, distracting you. Like you can run a business efficiently and lean from having effective people being at home and you don't have to pay for office space. That's why we're seeing a kind of a, a squash in the commercial office space. But secondary market, same thing with where we live. We live about 40 minutes north of Denver. 10 years ago, all farmland. Um, now it's suburbs and the houses here are equivalent to what they cost in downtown Denver. Um, and it's just because, you know, it's a growing area and this is an area where people want to live. We don't own a lot of residential here, but we've been very successful in different markets. Just kind of like understanding, Hey, if you just buy in a generally decent area that has, has some growth, like don't overcomplicate it, just buy it and forget about it and then reevaluate in five or 10 years. Um, and you'll, I think you'll do quite well. And some, something is people don't understand too, is the Midwest. One, one thing I think is hard for people to conceptualize about investing out of state is in their own mind, they have their own perception of what an area would be like. And they would say, well, why the heck someone living in California or New York or whatever is, why would I, why would I move? Why would anyone move to Ohio? Right. Or (laughs) Kansas city, Missouri, it sounds terrible. Uh, but that's, that's just them. And that's, I think a limiting belief. There is a lot of population shift within a state of certain people moving to different areas. And in a large metropolitan area, for example, Cleveland, um, we've been extremely successful with suburbs that are within, you know, same thing, 40 minutes or whatever to downtown Cleveland that have their own economy. Things like Akron and Barbershire and same thing with Kansas City, Missouri, some more family oriented suburbs that are still commutable to the city, 
areas like Lee Summit, Independence, Raytown. I mean, these are areas where the cost of living is much more affordable. You can buy a house for $150,000 today that likely will be worth significantly more as that metropolitan area continues to grow out and expand. So I guess I just went on a, on a rant here, Adam. <laughs> but the main thing I want to point is, is don't overcomplicate it. If there's an area like it makes sense, then buy it and continue buying those areas. And I think you'll do fine. Yeah, it's kind of it made me think of the, you know, people always talk about the anal- the paralysis of analysis. And it's like whenever you're shopping for things nowadays, like you can go on Amazon or Google and just search for, you know, like right now I'm looking for an entertainment center for our new room. I can go online and I can look and look and look and say, oh, the reviews on this, the reviews on that, this one might be a little bit better in the price of this. But eventually, you know, you think I'm just going to go to the store and buy one that's there that looks good because I know they're not going to have junk in the store and I'm going to walk out with it. It's kind of like that with the markets. Eventually you can look and say, you know, let's go, let's use Florida, for example. Oh, you know, Lehigh versus um, this, this other one versus this other one versus this other one. Where's the best return going to be in three, four, five, six years? Well, we don't really know you know, exactly which one, like if you bought a $300,000 house in three different markets there, which one is going to have the absolute best cash flow in five years and the highest appreciation? I don't know, but I can almost guarantee you based on the numbers that we're seeing, both in terms of the properties and the areas and this, that, and the other, you're going to be in a lot better position than if you don't buy a house in one of those areas. You don't need to spend years um, researching areas. I think that's really just an excuse to not have a a serious goal and and take action in in 30 minutes with with where we're at with technology today. You get there's so much data available. There's too much um, to analyze stuff. You don't need to. I mean, think about people investing out of state 30, 40 years ago. I mean, flying out to areas and their real estate was different at that point in time. You couldn't even, you had no idea what the houses even looked like, right? You were, how do you understand a different market? And people were successful, quite successful then. But now we have so much data available within, you should be able to spend uh, with an intentional 30, dedicated 30 minutes online. You should be able to come to a determination of a handful of different areas that you want to invest. And from there, it really is just a decision of like, okay, actually doing it because you fully understand a market when you invest in that area. And so I, I want to kind of end here with a concept or, or my opinion on researching to a certain extent, but not, not getting to the point where you're getting analysis paralysis. I, I think it's important to understand and have a baseline criteria and fundamental idea of where to invest. But ultimately, you just gotta, you gotta take a little bit of risk, right? And that's, that's stepping outside of your comfort zone and investing in an area that looks good, it checks off, multiple boxes and then doing that again and rinsing and repeating in a different area and continue. That's why we talk about diversification and scalability. I, I love that you just talked about, you know, the projection of three different properties in three different areas. Cause you don't know if that's the reality. Um, but as you invest in an area, that's because that's where you really become more uh, aware and confident about a market is actually going through the process of investing there as you learn it. And then you can say, Hey, I want to continue to scale, or maybe I, you know, I want to invest in this area, this little submarket of this location as you learn more about it, but you only learn by taking action and, you know, just letting real estate do what it does over time. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, it's, and that's one of the things we always tell people, you know, three to five properties in three to five markets, um, because that's, you know, you can hit single after single after single, and eventually, 
something's going to become a double, triple, or home run. Um, you know, you just keep putting the the bat on ball, as they say, and you, know, you just keep acquiring the properties as they're all going to most likely do very well for you, or, you know, pretty well. And then you're going to have one that you just look at in three, four, five years and they go, holy crap, how did that? That one, uh, that one did a lot. I'm going to refi and pull a lot of capital out of that or sell and do an exchange into like three or four different properties because of the appreciation that you saw on just that one. And so, but you're never going to see that if you don't have it in your portfolio in the first place. It only takes one or two of those to make a dramatic difference, you know, for your, your net worth and your lifestyle and um, your legacy. Yep, absolutely. So if you're interested in finding some of those properties, you can head over to renttoretirement.com and check out that what we have there. You can find all of our inventory there. That's at renttoretirement.com. Don't forget, if you want Zach's copy of Top 20 Markets to Invest in in 2023, you've still got time this year to get some in that time frame. Email to podcast at renttoretirement.com. We'll get that sent over as soon as we can. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself today. Don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you utilize. We greatly appreciate it. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.